I'm so glad to be back this morning and to share with you about something that is so important to me uh, because marriage is a great mystery. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 31 this morning. As you're turning, you remember we kind of stepped out of order as we looked at Ephesians 6 with spiritual warfare. For a season, I said we'd come back this summer dealing with Ephesians 5 and marriages. And so this morning, starting in verse 31, we read about this mystery. Listen to what he says in verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. The mystery is great. Now, when he talks about mystery, by the way, he's not talking about something that is kind of spooky and kind of out there and can't surround my mind with it. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, what makes sense kind of thing. You know, sometimes we think of mysteries like that. We just can't put the pieces together. Uh, in the New Testament, we're talking about mystery. What they're talking about is a truth that was not revealed by God in the Old Testament times that now is being revealed. And in the context here, when he talks about the mystery, it's the mystery of the two becoming one. He said, wait a minute, that was revealed all the way back in Genesis chapter two, wasn't it? He said, you know, a man shall leave his mother, father cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. What, what do you mean it's never been revealed before? Well, if you look back at the context of verse 31, he says in verse 32, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. The mystery that's never been revealed before is much like the relationship that a husband has with his wife. It's the kind of relationship with the Messiah Christ was going to have with his people. And the deep oneness that is true in a marriage is true in a relationship between Jesus and his people. Now, I'll come back to that later this morning. But we need to recognize that many ways that marriage is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and the church. And that relationship is something that was never known before, but now in our times has been revealed by God. And I'm gonna do a series on marriage with the hopes of laying a foundation that's great enough to make it past two things, the storms of two things. One is our culture. We're not in a really marriage-friendly culture anymore. And there's many things that work against marriages in these days. But I also want to talk about building a foundation that, that can last the storm of this. Two people who are very different at their core, male, female, getting up close to one another, 
who are broken to begin with, have some rough edges, and they're going to be spending the rest of their life together rubbing on each other real close. <laughs> now, anybody that's been in the ball game for a while of marriage can realize uh, that can be a storm we're going to need God's grace to endure. And so I want to lay some foundations here. Maybe I don't even like the word endure. As we go on, you'll see why. Because a marriage isn't something to endure. Marriage is one of God's greatest gifts that he's given to mankind. And so I want to build a foundation that can help us get through the tough times that our culture brings, the tough times that a man and woman living up close, both being broken for the rest of their lives together. And when we talk about foundations, we have to start with God. And if you're going to have a foundation that's going to last this kind of culture and that kind of relationship, it has to start with God. And I'll tell you why. Who created male and female? God did. He's the creator of male and female, and he's the one who instituted a marriage. And so as the creator of male and female and the creator of the Institute of Marriage, he's written an owner's manual, which is called the Bible, that tells us how this whole thing is supposed to work. And so we find in this book, as we study it, we, we, we learn what love really is. We, we learn about forgiveness. We learn about how to relate with other people and maybe the situations we find ourselves in life with. We find out about the differences between men and women in many key ways. We find out about parenting. We find out about conflict. We find out about communication. Find out about money. We find out about weakness. The list goes on and on. The creator of man and woman and of marriage has written an owner's manual that shows us how this thing is supposed to work. And if you ignore it, you ignore it to your own hurt. You know, I hear people say all the time, you know, God is a loving God. He's a forgiving God. He'll forgive us if we don't, you know, and, and you're right. God is a loving and a forgiving God. But that's the problem with only grabbing one truth and not balancing it with the others. We do reap what we sow as well. So if I was to get a volunteer this morning and I said, would you please go bang your head against this brick wall for one hour, as hard as you can, as many times as you can, I guarantee you, your loving father will forgive you and he'll still love you even though you do it. But guess what? You're going to bear the consequences of it, right? <laughs> you're going to get some scars. You're going to have a headache, maybe a concussion, maybe some permanent brain damage. And what people are doing, hey, our God is a loving God. He's gracious. He forgives. We can do whatever we want. We don't need this book. We don't need to listen to him. He's full of love and grace. Yes, he is. But brothers and sisters, if we've been given an owner's manual on how the thing works and we ignore it, <laughs> We only hurt ourselves. And that's not just true of marriage, that's just true of life and how to live life. So, did I tell you turn to Matthew yet? Uh, turn to Matthew, chapter seven. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is summing up the Sermon on the Mount. And again, the importance of, after he's given his words, uh, the importance of carrying out and living those words. And listen to what he says, starting in verse 24 of Matthew 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The rock of God's word and acting upon it. But then in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed. It got sound like he was in the same storm. <laughs> and it fell, and great was its fall. The difference was actually this, not that one heard God's word and one didn't. They both heard God's word. One acted upon it and built their life upon it. The other one didn't. The one who knows God's word, the owner's manual, and builds their life off of what God says is going to be a person that's going to be able to stand the storms of life and the storms of marriage. But a person who, and that's probably more like a Christian, those who don't know Jesus certainly aren't going to know his word, but those who come to into a church service or hear his word, and we hear what God says about this, but I don't reshape and rebuild my marriage in light of what I hear you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable spot uh, to, to have a serious fall in your life and marriage. So this morning, I'm going to start with this. I want to share with you two myths. I'm, we're dealing with foundations this morning, right? I want to deal with two myths that people often build their marriage off of as a foundation. And I'm going to talk about four counter-cultural truths from God's word that are foundational to a marriage being able to pass the storms of time. Let me start with this myth. Marriage was designed to make me happy. What do we say? And they live, and live happily ever after. Now, I trust that's not married people laughing when I say that. If you are, I hope your mate's not here today to hear you laughing next to them. But you know, we've got this idea that marriage is designed to make us happy. I love, uh, Henry Cloud tells a story about a good friend of his who was telling him, you know, he was single, and as a single person, he was very insecure and very unhappy. He said, then I got married. And then I was married, and I was insecure and unhappy. And isn't that the truth? People think, I'm going to get married, and guess what? For that engagement period, for that honeymoon, that wedding day, and for a number of months, they're happy, but something starts to happen when two real people that are broken are living up close to each other for a long time, that happiness begins to wane. God never designed marriage to make us happy. God gives us something greater than happiness. He gives us joy, and that comes from him. 
But people think if I'm happy, that marriage will make me happy. So this is what happens. They build a marriage on happiness, and, they, and all of a sudden, the happiness begins to wane a little bit. Not working quite the way I thought. I'm not quite as happy as I thought this thing was going to make me. So one of two things happens. I start to blame my mate for my unhappiness. Or I walk away because I need to find somebody who will make me happy. And when we build our marriages off of happiness and thinking that marriage is going to make me happy, we find ourselves in a very vulnerable spot because it's not a foundation that God has made. Let me give you a second myth that many operate off of when it comes to marriage. And that is that marriage will make me complete. Marriage will make me complete. In other words, there's this sense that uh, something is missing inside my soul. Something, I'm just not okay down there. It's like having a puzzle that there's one more piece that needs to be found. And if I just find this piece, then I'll be okay. And many people think if I just find that soulmate, if I just find that better half, if I just find that other person, then I'll be okay inside. Then I'll be complete. And here's the problem. Design, uh, marriage was never designed to make us complete. Who was? Thank you, Rachel. Jaira was, wasn't he? He's the one who's sufficient for every situation in life. You see, and we're trying to use our mate somehow to make me okay, to fix that missing piece, to do with you know, what seems down here to be missing. And so what happens when I make my mate, rather than Jesus, the one to fix that deep down part of my soul that doesn't feel okay, I turn him into an idol. And you know what happens with idols as we read in the owner's manual? Idols frustrate for two reasons. One, because idols don't have the ability to provide what you want. And when I look to my wife to provide that sense that I'm okay down here, I'm going to be frustrated because my wife was never designed to do that. Only God was. And not only will I be frustrated, but she'll be frustrated because my neediness will suck the life out of her. And so here I am, kind of this needy person that needs her to make me okay. And there's, you know, she can love me and do everything she can, the best she can in every way it's supposed to be. And yet somehow it doesn't work. And we both end up frustrated. But guess what happens when two people turn to Jaira and get their needs met? Now when I move to that person, guess what happens? I move to them knowing I am okay I am complete in Christ, and now I can move to them not to get something from them, but I can move to them to give them something. Because now I've come to bless rather than get blessed. And so when I find my completeness in Christ, and this is so important, I I hope my, my brothers and sisters that are single or widowed or divorced at this time I hope this series, there's so much that we're going to learn that has to do even beyond just marriage, uh, relationships, 
And this is one of those very important ones. Uh, even the happiness, thinking an, a, another good friend is going to make me happy or thinking that somebody in my life is going to complete me, whether it's marriage or a best friend or something like that. Those, those are all fail. Only Jesus will complete us. And when we find ourselves being filled by him, then I can move out to bless people and to give them blessing rather than squeezing life out of them to get blessed. So those are the two myths I want to start with that are often at the core of people getting married. I want to talk about four countercultural, what I be, believe to be biblical foundations, that if we will build our marriage on these things, man, we're in a place to thrive, we're in a place to bless. And the first one is this, Marriage was designed to make me holy, not happy. Marriage was designed to make me holy, not happy. Holiness is simply uh, less sin and more of Jesus in me, more like Christ. It's less of the world's influence, less of the flesh's influence upon me. It's more and more of Jesus filling me and becoming like Christ. That's, that's what holy simply is. And, and God has designed marriage to make me holy, not to make me happy. I, I got to give credit to Gary Thomas. He wrote a book basically called by that. That's when I first heard that concept. I have to admit, I was a little bit upset with that concept. I'm kind of like, God, I'm, I'm sick and tired of being made holy. How about a little happiness here? Now, that wasn't with marriage, by the way, baby. That was about <laughs> another area of life. Right? But uh, seriously, you know, it really wasn't about marriage. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on crazy at that time. Everything was breaking and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I'm sick and tired of being made holy. Give me a little happiness. You know, some of us feel that way in marriage. And, but we have to understand God's goal is to use marriage to make me more like Jesus. Remember uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Now, we're all very familiar with verse 28, and we love to claim it, and we know that God, our loving Father, causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. So here we know that our sovereign God in heaven with everything that touches my life is taking those things, both the good and the bad, and somehow supernaturally putting those things together for my good. But it's verse 29 that tells us what that good is. For, here's the explanation, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To become conformed to the image of his son. All things. Even marital difficulties and marital frustrations, single difficulties, single frustration, all those things, our God has got the ability to use all of those things to make us more like Jesus. Now think with me for a second. Let's think we got this frame here. And we got two different frames. One frame says, I look at everything the way that it is that I can see through my human eyes and my human reasoning. I, I see what I see. Uh, I, I, it's flesh and blood. It's real stuff. 
And, and, I, and I interpret the situation in life, you know, this bad thing happens, you know, again, this person's making me unhappy or these things are just bad things or this, you know, we, so we got this frame, we look at it. But what happened if we take out a different frame and we look at the same situation now, but we look at it through the frame that's called Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.29. And now I look at that difficulty in my marriage or that frustration in my marriage or my relationships, and now I look at it in light of the fact that, guess what? God is using this in my life to make me more like Jesus. That changes everything. It changes the way that I respond to what's going on. It changes the way that I approach what's going on in my life. And when I begin to look at my marriage and the problems and the difficulties and the frustrations and the joys and the pleasures and everything else, that ultimately God is using this to make me more like Jesus because the more I'm like Jesus, the more he gets glory and the more my mate gets blessed and other people around me. And by the way, Jesus came that we might have life and might have it abundantly. Guess what? The less that sin's controlling me and the more that Jesus is controlling me, the greater abundance of life and joy that I have. Now, could you imagine two married people that are full of abundance and joy? <laughs> and Jesus is working constantly in our marriage to make us more like that, even using the difficulties. So I want to encourage you. How are you looking at your marriage and what's going on? And you relate, let me ask you, how are you looking at the things in the past that what happened that were really difficult that you're still having a hard time swallowing? I'd encourage you to go back to that time with a new frame set on and don't just look at it humanly and only what you can see with a side, but look beyond that to be able to see God in Romans 8, 28 and 29 in operation and saying, God even was using this to make me more like Jesus. That's what God wants to do in our marriage. He even will use my unhappiness to accomplish his purposes of bringing me to Jesus. And there's a hundred reasons why, and that's not today's sermon, but when we look at it all through the frame of Romans 8, 28 and 29, the truth of what God's really doing we understand that God's got something bigger than my happiness going on when it comes to marriage. Let me give you a second foundation. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Now that's not a word we use a lot today. And we'll understand that more in two weeks. I'm going to give a message about marriage as a covenant, a whole message on it. And so uh, hold in place until then, but I'll give you a little sneak peek into what that means here. First of all, you need to realize that our whole relationship with Jesus is based on a covenant. Matter of fact, if you want to understand what God is doing in this world, God's entire program that he reveals in scripture, and as we look forward to what's going to happen in the future, we look forward to what's happened in the past, it's all based upon covenants that he has made with his people. And let, let me just tell you, you know what a, a Hebrew word for covenant means to cut. And what it's, what it's a picture of 
is the cutting of animals in half as a sacrifice to ratify the covenant. And the picture of death is the, the key picture of what a covenant is all about. And so death and the sacrifice not only ratifies the covenant, but it also pictures what a covenant is all about. I'll just give you one this morning, just touch on it briefly. There's four different pictures that come from death we'll talk about in two weeks that relate to our marriages that come from a covenant. The first one is this. I die to myself to live for that person that I'm in covenant with. That's what it means. That's what a covenant is. That's one of the four pictures of death. No longer am I living for myself or am I using that person to help my life be better, but now I'm laying down my life for the sake of that person. So every decision and every action and everything I do is really based for the welfare of that other person that I'm in relationship with rather than myself. Isn't that what our relationship with Jesus is about? It talks about Corinthians. He died for us so that we might live for him, dying to ourselves to live to the person we're in covenant with. Jesus died for our benefit, and now we're to live our whole, that's what Mike's message was about last week, wasn't it? That's what the heart of a covenant's all about, and that's what marriage is. It's a covenant, and I'm no longer living for the sake of myself, or am I getting married to use that person to make my life better, but now I've died to myself to live for the person who I'm in covenant with. There's something bigger than me going on when it comes to marriage. And so I'm really living for the sake. I'm going to give the guys a test that I had many years ago. I failed, uh, but I'll give it to you just to give you a picture of what, what this looks like. Guys, think of the last time you really passionately kissed your wife. Fix it in your mind. Hopefully some of you don't have to think back too far along. Let me ask you this question. Did you give her that kiss to get a blessing or to give a blessing? Think about that. That's a good test of where your love is at. (laughs) Man, the last time I gave my wife a passionate kiss, did I do that because I wanted to get something from that kiss or did I do it because I wanted to give her something? That's how far dying to yourself and living for your mate goes. It's no longer about me, but I'm laying down my life for the sake of the other person. Here's a third foundation. Cherish is the driver of love. Commitment is the spare tire. Cherishing is the driver of love while commitment is the spare tire. I hear people all to love love and marriage is all about commitment. I couldn't disagree more. I, I disagree with that 98%. I really do. Now, Commitment has an aspect of love, but it's not the driver. Cherishing 
is the driver of love in marriage. You know what cherishing is? It's where I got a soft heart towards my mate. I value them very highly and I handle them very tenderly and I care for, their, care for them tenderly. That's what cherishing is. You know, there, there's this, in a sense, you could almost say there, there's a fire in the heart that, that just makes my heart soft towards that person, that, it, that makes me value them like this and care for them tenderly. Now, let me give you the difference between commitment and cherishing. Here's commitment. I got to do it because I promised it. I'm going to do it because I'm faithful to my word. You know what cherishing says? I get to do it because I delight in that person. Which one do you want in your marriage? Which way do you want your maid approaching you? Well, I got to do it because I promised you 36 years ago at the altar I'd do it. Kind of reminds me, of my, we were watching the grandkids this weekend and they got in a little, they're just wrestling around, they weren't being bad, but one of them got hurt and they come over and the other one says, punish, punish him, punish him. I said, okay, I'm going to punish you. Your punishment is you got to tell Papa you love him. Ah, oh, you got to do it. Okay, Papa, I love you. And then, okay, you got to give Papa a hug. You know, and so, you know, that's kind of what living by commitment's like. You know, I learned in a seminar, this is the way it's supposed to be. And people like you that are women or men, this is the kind of stuff you like. And because I'm committed to you and I'm supposed to do it and I made a promise to you and I'm faithful to my word, I'm going to do it. Or I got to make this as I go to a seminar because I want to learn everything I can to bless this lady because I delight in her and I love her and I can't wait and I get the privilege to bless her. Which one do you want in your marriage? Love is driven by cherishing, not by commitment. You see, commitment is the spare tire. I told you there is a place for commitment in marriage. And commitment, I believe, is the spare tire that we pull out when for some reason cherishing isn't working at the moment. And so I, I find that my heart's not soft. I'm not valuing them. I'm not caring for them tenderly. Well, I'm not just going to walk away, but I need to keep on moving to them in the right way. But I also need to go before God and find out what's going on here, that my heart's not right, Lord. Get me back in tune. It's the spare tire that I use until cherishing gets back on track. Isn't that what the Song of Solomon pictures? I mean, that's a book about love. Is that the picture? When you read that, is that the picture of two people that are committed to each other? Or two people that are so honored and thrilled and excited and want to be with one another? It's not just the, like I said, there's too many people, they kind of think it's all about commitment, so their starting point is I got to do this to be faithful to my promises. There is a place for that, but brothers and sisters, let cherishing be the driver. Then let me give you the fourth one. The fourth one is this, marriage models our relationship with Jesus. That's where we started this morning in Matthew, Matthew, Ephesians, Matthew is our second passage. Ephesians chapter five, 
Wasn't it when we saw about this great mystery, the two becoming one? He said, but I'm referring here to Jesus in the church. Nevertheless, husbands and wives love and respect one another. You see, marriage is a model of the relationship which Jesus has with the church. And so guess what? As a believer in Jesus, what my marriage is really designed to be. It's to be a picture. I'm gonna talk about my part and then Kim's part. My part is to be a picture of the way that Jesus laid down his life to love his bride, the church. And her, the way she responds to me is to be a picture of how the church Jesus' people respond to him in submission and respect. And so in many ways, our marriage is is the greatest witnessing tool that we have to the world around us. As it becomes, as they look in at a marriage and say, whoa, look at the way those two react to one another. And they're seeing something of the way that Jesus loves his people and the way his people respond to him in the way that a husband and wife respond to one another. You've heard it said, some things are better caught than taught. (laughs) Well, brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity to model not only for the world, for each other, for newly married people, for singles, for whoever it might be that's in our pathway, what it looks like for Jesus to love us. Not just to hear a sermon on it, Not just read a book about it. Not just sing a song about it. Brothers and sisters, live it out in real life with two people who are very different from one another. A man and a woman. I like to call call them gloriously different to the core of their being, but absolutely equal in dignity. That's what we are as man and woman. And we're up close We're broken. We're living a long time in the same place together. And we get the opportunities. We learn how to do this thing through Jesus' manual that he's given us, how this thing works. And depending upon his spirit for everything I need to make it happen, there's something that happens where he begins to make it less and less about Pat and Kim and more and more about Jesus in the church. And we look, I look more and more the way Jesus would love and she looks more and more the way the church would respond and it becomes a picture to the world around us. So that's the foundation. That's the foundation that'll last the storms of a culture that's not necessarily marriage friendly to the max and two people living up close. So let me ask you today, where are you? Where are you? Let's be honest with ourselves as we think about our relationship. I think we all have room to grow. Nobody should feel like a failure if you didn't come out with a 100% on the test. Because the reality is, is that we all are broken and we're all in process and we will not be Perfect until we're back with Jesus, standing in his presence. So as you look at yourself, I want to ask you, is there one or two areas that you need to address? 
Maybe it's one of the myths. Maybe you guys have been building your marriage off of this is all about happiness or being complete, or maybe it's one of the foundations. Or maybe you think it, or you know, maybe you need to address the fact that God is using this to make me holy and start putting that frame onto your marriage. Or maybe I need to recognize this is a covenant. I'm living, my whole life is to be based upon what's best for them, not best for me. Or maybe it's the fact that cherishing is the driver and not commitment. Maybe you've been, well, I'm faithful to my word and I'm committed to my marriage. Or maybe you're one of them people who say, man, I delight in my mate and I can't wait to be with them and I thank God for the privilege I get to be the person in their life to address those things. Or is it that your model of the picture of Jesus in the church is really blurry and not looking good? Where are you at today? I'm gonna give you three things you can do. We'll give you more throughout the series and that's the first one is Commit to this series. In fact, you may know some other people that need this series, and you might want to send this to them in YouTube as that comes out this week. Encourage them to watch that and join us online next week or better in person. Um, But you want to come to this series. If you're out of town, watch it later. And I know it's vacation time. If you're out of town, Watch it that week later or watch it that morning when you're out of town. Uh, But commit to this series because you're going to get a lot of help for marriage in this series. Second of all, I want to encourage you with this. If you're struggling today, look around. God has given us a a gift that's called the body of Christ. Maybe there's somebody you know in this body and you look at their marriage and say, man, I like what's going on there. Go to them. Would you mind meeting with me and my wife for four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks? We just want to tell you where we're at. We want to learn how you guys did this thing. How does it work? You know what, guys? Let's humble ourselves. I hope every person at Moraine has a desire to come out better this summer. I don't care where you're at on the scale of marriages. There's always room to grow. And you know what? There may be somebody you can look around and say, you know what? We need to talk to that couple. And we need to find out what are you guys doing and how do you do it and how do you wrestle with this? You know, that'd be a great way for iron to sharpen iron. It's a thing you can do. We'll give you more resources in this series. Look to each other and above all, look to Jesus. You know what? To know the manual without depending upon the spirit of Jesus who lives in you as a believer will only frustrate you because that's what the Old Testament law was. They knew all the right things to do, but they didn't have the power to do it. We've got the power to do it. Our problem is like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, she never knew it and never turned to those uh, clicking those heels. She always had the power. You as a believer always have the power, but very few are turning to the one who lives in us that is able to enable us to live out the way that God says it. So we know all the right things, but we're frustrated and angry and depressed and fighting because we're not turning to Jesus to give me what I need to live out this book. Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're listening in, 
And maybe you don't know Jesus. Brothers and sisters, um, I just got to appeal to you because you know what? I guess what we could say today to you is this. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you that is so deep and so intimate that it's like being married. Because Jesus' relationship with his bride, the church, is a marriage between Jesus and his people. That's how deeply he wants to love you. And he lives by covenant. And he not only is faithful to his covenant, but he delights to be faithful and carry out his things because he so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. And if you're listening in or you're here today and you've never come to the place where you put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, acknowledge to him, Lord, I'm separated from you. My sin, I'd never be good enough for you. I could never, I could never earn it. I can never be religious enough. I can never be moral enough. I can never do enough good things. Lord, my only hope is what Jesus did for me on the cross. And when I transfer my trust from myself and what I do to Jesus and what he did, at that moment, I come into a relationship with Jesus. His spirit comes and lives in me and the two become one. That's what God wants to offer to you today if you don't know Jesus. To turn to him, to come in relationship with him and you will have a eternity secured with him, but you have a life in this world that has him where he gives you what he calls the helper, the Holy Spirit, to walk with us, to navigate this crazy life we have here on earth. So finally, let me just say this. This has always been my simple theory in marriage counseling. When people come to me and say, Pat, we need help, this is my beginning point. To live with Jesus is very healthy and fulfilling. And the more you become like Jesus, the more healthy and fulfilling your marriage will be. Because guess what? The more I'm like Jesus, the better off it's going to be for Kim. And the more Kim is like Jesus, the better off it's going to be for me. And the better off it is for her and me, it's going to be better off for everybody else because we're going to be so blessed by one another. It's going to be spilling out on the people around us and they're going to be blessed uh, because of it. So let me close this in prayer. I'm excited to share this series. Um, as a matter of fact, next, next Sunday I'm excited because Kimmy's going to be up here with me. Somebody sent me a text, one of my daughters. You know, I got three daughters. They, they keep me in line. Dad, you do know that it is a man and a woman that's married, and mainly we hear from men speaking. So, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks, baby. Thanks for letting me know that. I want to make sure that you guys hear from Kimmy. And uh, hear, I'm hoping that she, I'm still negotiating with her to get her up even a few more weeks beyond that to share sometimes. But uh, we're excited to share with you our life next week. I kind of share with you the time that we hit a wall and the lessons that God taught us then and some of the things that uh, we think are crucial that we've learned personally uh, for marriage. So, hey, love you guys. It's great to be back. Great to see your beautiful faces. I'm serious. You guys are awesome. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing your truth. Father, for sharing things that are so important 
things that will change our lives and change our marriages. So Father, I want to come before you right now and ask you, God, that you would be pleased to be at work in every one of our hearts to do things that only God can do, to convict, to encourage, to instruct, to enable, to redirect, uh, to create repentance, Lord, uh, whatever would be the case. So Father, I just come before you. I commit us to you. We invite you to work mightily in us and in this series, and I pray that as we as individuals become more like Jesus and our marriages are, are more of what you create them to be, that our church should be more of what you created us to be. And Lord, we'll have a greater impact on the world around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.